One of the uh, recent phenomenon of the, the sports world in America has been the growth of NASCAR. I don't know if all of you watch NASCAR. It's the National Association of Stock Car Auto Racing. And it is, it's a big thing. As you can see, they pack stadiums all over the country and race these cars. I've never really had uh, much of an interest in NASCAR, but I learned a lot about NASCAR about maybe 15 or so, 18 years ago, when I had an issue with my leg, and this is before we had uh, our, our local physical therapist here to go to, and so I ended up going to a local hospital to have my physical therapy. And the guy who was doing my physical therapy, he was great, nice young man, he was, he was funny, we had a great time together, but he loved NASCAR. And he spent, we spent most of the time him talking to me about the most recent things happening with NASCAR. I had no idea all this stuff went on. I mean, it was like listening to a soap opera of all the different drivers and their fights they were getting into and all, you know, all the stuff that was happening. I'm pretty sure I figured out later, I think it was his way of distracting me from the pain he was causing me as he was doing the physical therapy. But, you know, I'd lay there on the table and he'd be working my leg and talking to me about NASCAR the whole time. And I learned more about NASCAR in those four or five weeks that I went to physical therapy than I ever knew in my life. And I never really had a ton of interest in NASCAR, but I got to thinking about that recently. Because one of the things about, about auto racing in general is that there is a part of that of the race that is vitally important to winning the race. And that's, that's the pit stops. If you ever watch a race, or you, especially if you listen to a race, you will hear them talking about that when the drivers are going to take a pit stop, when they're going to head into this, the pit row, and their crew is usually changing the tires and putting gasoline and maybe making a few minor adjustments to the vehicle. And you see these, if you ever watch that, you see these guys, you know, as soon as the car comes to a stop, these guys run around the car, they're, you know, they're whip, ripping off the tires and putting them back on and putting in the gasoline. I mean, you know, they work hours and hours and hours trying to be as fast and as, as, be as, as, as uh, expert at doing that as possible. And pit stops are vital to winning a car race. But the thing about pit stops is nobody who follows, who has any interest or any indication of watching the race, no one ever thinks you, that the pit stop is the race. No one thinks that, that you, that's all that matters in the race. That if we, if we have the fastest pit stop time, if we have the best thing of winning the pits, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what happens on the rest of the track. No one thinks that. As vital as pit stops are, they're only vital in relation to the race. And I've been pondering that lately as I'm thinking about prayer. Because when we, because I think things like our prayer vigil and our own daily times of prayer and the prayer groups that we have and all the ways in which we engage in moments of prayer are sort of like pit stops. They are moments that are vital to our spiritual existence. We need them. They're important. They're significant. But they're not the end in and of themselves. Because ultimately, those pit stops are designed to help us be better at running the race. 
And I think that's what Paul is getting at when he writes to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 17, never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Pray all the time. I think what he's trying to help us understand is that there is a sense in which we pray that leads us to life. Now, there are a couple of ways of interpreting what Paul says here. On the one hand, he might be saying that we ought to spend as many moments as we possibly can, try to find as many moments as possible throughout every day to step away and to pray. We ought to find these moments of quiet and silence and times to get away to pray. That's one way of interpreting what he's saying. But the other thing he might be saying is all of life, should be lived in the spirit of prayer. And I think what he means is the second. As important as it is to have those moments to pull back, as vital as those moments are, as significant as they are, the ultimate end of that is to lead us to be people of Jesus whose lives are just completely absorbed in a spirit of prayer in a spirit of worship, in a spirit of of giving ourselves to Christ. I was reading in Philip Yancey's book on prayer. He's telling a story about a woman named Marcia, who he said is one of the great prayer warriors that he knows. And she takes prayer more seriously, they said, than probably anybody else he knows. She has her own little prayer closet that she's built. And she goes, spends time in there. But he said when he asked her, as he was interviewing different people about their prayer lives, when he asked her about her prayer life, she said she really didn't want to talk about the prayer closet. She wanted to talk about everything that happened outside that. And she said, what I find is that really what I'm trying to develop is a life in which all of my existence is prayer. That every conversation is prayer. That everything I do is prayer. Everywhere I go, I'm thinking about Jesus. My mind, I'm trying to teach my mind to continually be in that spirit of, of, of in the presence of God and in Christ. And she said, I'm convinced that whatever I do, that can be the case. So when I'm painting, I'm, I'm, it's, it's an act of prayer. When I'm having a conversation, it's an act of prayer. And I think she's right. It doesn't matter what we're doing. If we're reading or we're teaching or we're studying or we're building something, or repairing something, or we're fixing a meal, or we're doing the laundry, or taking care of our children, or whatever it is that we might be doing, driving in the car, anything we can do in the spirit of prayer, because God is with us in those moments. And all of life becomes something we offer to God and and live in a spirit of openness to Him, and a spirit of, of prayer and interaction with Him. It's what Brother Lawrence talks about when he writes about and and speaks about the practicing the presence of God. Brother Lawrence was a monk centuries ago who he he wanted to be just like all the other monks, but but he was uneducated and and didn't seem to have a whole lot on the ball. And so they let him into the monastery, but they assigned him to the kitchen. And, and for a long time, he lamented that. He wanted to be in the chapel with all the monks praying and chanting and, and doing the things that they were doing. And instead, he was confined to the kitchen. And eventually, it began to dawn on him that his whole point was he wanted to be closer to God. And so he decided that God was just as much with him in the kitchen as he was in the chapel. 
And so he began to practice the presence of God and everything he did. He talks about peeling potatoes to the glory of God and making meals to the glory of God. And it began to transform his life so much so that people began to come to the kitchen to spend time with him to learn the secret of practicing the presence of God. I think that's what Paul's talking about. I mentioned to you a few weeks ago about how I, for years, I've used the, the We Fit exercise program and how sometimes the thing can be a little bit sarcastic with you, with you when you're not doing what it thinks you ought to be doing. But it also can be very encouraging and it does a lot of, says a lot of things to you during the exercises to, to kind of keep you going, to remind you of things. And I was just doing it this week and in the middle of the exercise, one of the reminders that it said to me two or three times was, don't forget to keep breathing. I'm, I'm thinking about that. What do you mean, don't forget to keep breathing? You know, I, I, of course I'm going to keep breathing. I don't think about breathing, just breathe, right? And then I realized that when I'm really straining in one of the exercises, I tend to hold my breath. And, you know, it'll say sometimes it'll, help, it'll raise your blood pressure if you do that. And I realized that, in fact, I was not breathing naturally, but as I was straining, I was holding my breath. And it struck me that maybe that too is what Paul is describing, that we remember to breathe. That we remember to breathe the Spirit. We remember to, to continue to realize that God is present with us in every single moment. Richard Foster says that the deepest prayer of our lives is not the crisis prayer, it's relationship. I mean, God is with us in the crises. And, the cri- and, and praying in the crises is, is important. But the deeper kind of praying, the, the more mature we pray, it's not just coming to God when there's a crisis, but it's being in relationship with God all the time and developing that relationship with God all the time. You think about our human relationships. A relationship that is purely built on crisis is going to crumble unless we keep having crisis. Right? I mean, we need crises to keep the relationship going. And there are people who live for the crises. And that's the only way the relationship works is if there's one more crisis. And so we just keep creating crises to keep the relationship going. But actually, I don't know if that's the healthiest kind of relationship to have. I think the healthier relationships are the ones that we have when there's not a crisis and when we're not looking for a crisis but we're just being together we're learning who each other is and we're learning to to grow together and share together that's a healthy relationship and that's what God is wanting from us does that mean that we don't have a relationship in the crisis of course not God is there in the crisis and we need to come to him in the crisis but that's not the deepest kind of praying see sometimes i think we might think that praying without ceasing is sort of addressing a deficiency in us. What's wrong with us that we have to pray all the time? But that's not a deficiency. That's a gift of God. The deepest, the holiest people that I know, the greatest saints that I know, are not people who say, I've become so holy that I don't need to pray anymore. They're the people who understand, I need God in every single moment of my life which is what makes them holy because they're living in that kind of openness and relationship to God 
Adam and Eve lived in, in a relationship like that with God before the fall as they walked together in the garden. That's always been God's intent. Prayer is not a part of the curse. Prayer is God's gift to us because of, even in our sin, it helps us in our sin, but it's always been the means of developing relationship with God. And that's the whole point. We seek God. At the end of Psalm 16, the the writer talks about, he says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And, And I was listening to Dennis Kinlaw talk about this passage, and he's talking about how the beginning part of that is really talking about looking into the face of God. And he says there are two things going on here. There's the face of God and there's the hand of God, the right hand of God. And in the right hand of God are all of God's blessings. He said the, the call of the gospel is to keep our face looking at Jesus. And the, the blessings of God should only be viewed by, in our peripheral vision. And the problem we get into is when we turn. And when our face is focused on the blessings of God, and then he becomes part of our peripheral vision instead of our face. And what ends up happening is, like Adam and Eve, we're more interested in the gifts than the giver. And when that's the case, we not only, we lose the giver, which means we lose the gifts. The gifts only become blessings to us. They only become what they're intended to be when God is the focus. And when you think about that with prayer, it's really a matter of living our lives focused on God instead of always being focused on the answers to our prayers. I think that's one of our struggles is that we get so enamored with the answers that we want and we seek and we yearn for that all we can think about is the answers instead of God who is the source. When our focus is on God, when all of life is about Him, when our hearts are open to him, then we begin to understand that maybe the answers we want aren't always, his, aren't always the best answers for us. And we get, begin to trust him that whatever answers come, we believe are good because all he does for us is good. It's having that long view of life and of God. That long perspective of him, trusting him, it's like, you've seen time-lapse photography? You know, where the, you see a flower opening up that may take hours or days, and you're able to watch it in a matter of seconds? It's fascinating to see that. Or, or a sunrise that takes hours to take place, and you watch it in a matter of seconds. And I know for myself, I tend to be a time-lapse kind of prayer. God, I know that this should take a long time to happen, but I really would like to see it now. Right? I mean, that's what I want. I I need this to open up now. I need to get that answer now. I need to hear see you now. I need to experience this now. I know it should take a long time, but let's do it quicker than that. And God keeps reminding me that his ways are are different than my ways and his time is often different than my time. As Christians, we live with a different sense of time than everyone else. We have sort of a countercultural view of time. It's hard for us, but that's that's what we're called to 
to trust God for the long view, the bigger picture of time. That's why I, that's why I think the church calendar is so important to us. Because it helps us reestablish God's time in the midst of our time. Because everything about the church calendar is focused on Jesus. His coming, his birth, his, his uh, mission, his death, his resurrection, his church. And it keeps coming around all, every time, every day in, in the church calendar is focused on something about Jesus. Because he's the focus, he's the center. And that's what... That's what having a a relationship with him and a life about him is all about. It's focusing on him and everything he's doing. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the church year. And it's the Sunday after all the things that have happened, everything that we have commemorated and celebrated through the life of Jesus, we come to this Sunday and we declare him the King. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one, as Paul writes, to whom everyone will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the day that we celebrate him as the King of all. We celebrate who he is. And next Sunday, we start all over again with Advent. And we see what he's willing to become. It's all about Jesus. And it changes our view of time. Our perspective of life. That it's not about us, it's about Him. And when our focus is about Him, when all of life becomes about Him, when when our lives become a prayer to Him, then other things begin to make sense. They begin to fit. I think that's what Paul is saying here in verses 16, 17, and 18 when he begins in verse 16 and says, Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. Joy and thanksgiving are always connected to this idea of a life of prayer. Because the source of joy is God. And thanksgiving is is recognizing who God is and what God has done and all that we owe him. But we will miss that unless our minds are focused on him and continually coming back to him and seeing our lives in his eyes, through his heart. And Paul says, this is so important, it's God's will for us. I mean, that seems pretty strong language. This is God's will for us. Sometimes we ask, what's God's will for me? Paul says, it's not that complicated. Always be thankful, never stop praying. Uh, Always be joyful, never stop praying. Give thanks in every circumstance. That's God's will for us. That's what God's intent has been from the beginning. For us to be people of joy and prayer and gratitude. Joy and relationship and thanksgiving. This is what God wants for us. This is what it means to live in the kingdom. And when the day comes that Christ ushers in his kingdom in all of his fullness, we will be people who always are joyful, pray continuously, and give thanks in every circumstance. That's who we will be. That's what life will be because all of that is only possible through Christ. A life given to him. And when that happens, we begin to understand the world a little more clearly. 
It changes how we see other people. And Voskamp says to pray, to pray without ceasing is to, is to live with eyes wide open. And I think what she means is we have eyes wide open not only to God being present with us, but to God being present with others as well. We begin to see other people differently. It, it reminds me of, of when Jesus has been speaking to the crowd all day and now they're, they're hungry. And Jesus looks at them and has compassion on them and says, we need to feed these people. And the disciples say, send them away. Let them find their own food. All we, all, Jesus sees people who have a need. All the disciples see are people who are a problem. I think when we begin to pray without ceasing, when our lives are wrapped up in God who is with us, we see people the way God does. The people who drive us crazy, we begin to see the pain that they're living with. The people who, who, are, who, are, who are, seem to have everything together in their lives, we see a little bit beneath that and we understand that maybe their lives are not exactly as we see them. And we begin to pray for others more. We begin to connect with others more. We begin to see them the way God does. And it changes because it changes our hearts. It changes our vision. We begin to see the world and other people differently. We need the pit stops. The pit stops are vitally important to the race. we'll, We'll never make it without them. We need those times. And if we neglect them, it will cost us. We need them. But we understand them in the context of the bigger life that we live. As a catalyst to to seeing the faithfulness of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God and the truth of God to let it change us. As we're closing, as I'm closing here, I want to, to just show you again the, the video that we put together for the prayer vigil this year. Only this one has a little bit different ending to it. And my hope is that this visual will help us remember not just the pit stops, but also the journey.
We pray that you will help us to never stop praying. Help us to see our lives as a prayer to you. All of life. Through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen.